Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Language Mastery Show. This is your host, John Fotheringham. Remember me? Sorry, it's been quite a while, but I'm back, and I'm excited to share a really fun conversation I had with Lindsay Williams of Lindsay Does Languages. If you're new to the show, each episode is a long-form interview with a linguist, a polyglot, a language blogger. Basically, I look around for the best language learners in the world and try to distill down their habits, the do's and don'ts, the common myths that they see, anything that they've learned that can help you learn. For show notes, go to languagemastery.com slash show. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Lindsay Williams. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, been on my list for a while, and you're actually cool. the first interview in what I'm going to call season two, since I mm. I'd done 20 interviews from about 2009 to, I guess it was 2016, and then right. life happened and got in the way, and I put <laughs> put everything on hold, but anyway, back in the saddle. So, yeah, so so you've been at this game for a while. I mean, you've been learning, you've been teaching, you've been blogging, you've been podcasting. So a lot of exciting things I want to dive into in the call. But first, let's go back to the very, very beginning. How did you actually get into languages? What was your origin story, so to speak, if this were a comic book of your life? (laughs) Um, It was kind of accidental, I guess, in some ways. Um, I was very young. I was about eight or nine um, at primary school, and there was an extracurricular club for French. And my mum said, you know, you get the letter home. And she sort of said, oh, do you want to go to French? And I thought, "Eh." I didn't really think much of it. I think probably she sent me more than me deciding to go. (laughs) And then uh, I kept going, you know, every term she would say, do you want to keep keep doing French? And I'd say yes, because they gave you croissants at the end of the term. Uh You know, we'd have a a party with croissants and orange juice. Of course, I That's wanted to keep carrot. going for that job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, I kept going in primary school. And then by the time I got to secondary school, I actually hated languages because the French there was everything I had learned for the past couple of years, just over and over again and dragged out and with a whole class of 30 people that just didn't care and so it was really not much good and and I would say to my French teacher in those early years at secondary school like oh how do I say this or can I can I say blah 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 and she'd go oh no no don't do that just yet stick to what you know and it was really restrictive for those couple Mm -hmm. of years but I think you know having that early kind of foot in the door in primary did help me because then when it came to picking my GCSEs which are like those exams you do around age 16 here in the UK I decided that I wanted to do Spanish because Shakira was a thing by this point and had some Spanish songs on her album (laughs) and I thought I want to translate that so I thought well you know if I can do French at school then surely Spanish can't be much different I can learn a language so I can just transfer that to that you know which which I uh, I wanted to do now, but I have my to school, ask, did you also learn yeah. the Shakira dances to go along with the Spanish <laughs> not so much the dancing no no it was mostly just the the lyrics especially the ones that were like in Spanish and English this was on like the laundry service album so there were a couple mm-hmm. of, uh, of sort of doubled up songs and uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a place to start because you know Shakira lyrics aren't exactly like 
hello, how are you? Right. A little bit more poetic than that, <laughs> a little bit deeper, a little bit more confusing. But anyway, to do Spanish in my school, they said, okay, well, you have to also do French to prove that you can do languages. And I was like, well, okay, I guess. You know, French was never really a thing. I just, it just happened throughout. And so that's really from there how I got into it. It then just sort of snowballed. And I thought, well, I'll keep doing French and Spanish when I picked my A-levels for that next set of exams. And then when I wanted to go on to university, I thought, well, it's a, I, I like it by this point because I'd gone to do my A-levels at a um, school that was a specialist language college. So they had like Japanese classes going on and they had like a language day where we could learn BSL for the day, like sign language and uh, and Russian and all of these like really kind of exotic languages that you just didn't get exposed to at that age, especially at the school that I'd been to before. So that was kind of exciting. And I remember I had one teacher that said to me at that age, oh, you know, with, with the Spanish that you know, you could go and live in Italy for a year or Portugal for a year and you could speak the language, no problem. And I thought, oh, really? Yeah. That easy? Okay. And and so I was I was inspired by that. And, you know, as, as true or not true as that sort of claim may be, um, it, it got me intrigued and it got me learning more languages along the way and, from there, it's just, yeah, snowballed, really. <laughs> the language school, was that in the UK or? Yeah, yeah. So it was just in, in schools in the UK, kind of the secondary school level, they tend to have a specialism. So there was a stage, you know, various governments have various different initiatives, don't they, for education and things. And there was a stage where it was all about specialisms. And mm-hmm. so the school that I was at to begin with, their specialism was engineering, which I, you know, was was great if you like engineering, but if you don't, you know, if you like languages like me, then there's no extra money for the language department. Whereas the school that I went to for sixth form to do my A levels later on, where for where I went for two years, um, they were a specialist language college, so they had extra money pumped into the language department. So that's where they got all these things like the Japanese teacher and all of these days for languages and things like that. And you know they had a fully fledged kind of language lab they called it mm-hmm. with um, you know audio cassettes. I think they were even cassettes. This was still in the we're in the noughties here, but we still yeah. had cassettes. And uh, and you know you'd have your own set of headphones and be really into that. And that's because they had all the extra money pumped in for for languages. So it was just a regular state school, but with a language focus. Very cool. I must say mm-hmm. I'm envious. It was very, very lucky. It was very lucky. It was either that, to, to, if, because if I wanted to do Spanish, it was either that school or the college in a town, a really long bus ride away that I didn't want to go to because it was such a long bus. So right. I got really lucky. Yeah. Okay. So then after you graduated from school, what was the next part of the journey? It was a little bit different than I think it looks like for a lot of people. Um, I My degree is in languages, sort of modern language studies with like French and Spanish as the focus. But I didn't go to a sort of what I call a brick university. So I studied with the Open University, which is sort of distance learning, part time. So it was six years to get my BA. And I had a year in between as well. I sort of left 
um, edu- like education at 18. And I had this place like deferred for a year at university. I didn't really want to go, but everyone else was going. I figured, is this what I have to do? And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I went away and I went to, to Costa Rica and taught English there and thought, wow, this is amazing. You can come to a place this far away and like live and experience it and get paid to speak your language (laughs) yeah i mean i wasn't i wasn't getting paid as such but it it was it was like voluntary stuff but it it was uh it was still a real eye-opening experience and that meant that when i went back i thought you know if i go to university now and if i follow through on this place that's going to be a lot of money i'm going to be in debt I don't mm-hmm. want to be in debt. I'm 18. So I decided to to cancel that and to look for some other routes. And that's when I found the Open University. So it's, it's kind of weird because then I was studying for six years and I was like working and I even I started Lindsay Does Languages alongside my degree. You know, all of these things happened. I, I bought a house, you know, well, a, a flat, I bought a home. And it was just bizarre to think that if I hadn't done that, then I don't think I'd be where I am now because it showed me how to learn languages on my own. It showed me how to learn anything on my own, really. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, which I've noticed amongst a lot of other language learners especially, is they seem to be able to transfer that sort of autodidactic ability to learn anything to other mm. fields. And it's it's really fascinating. And, it, and vice versa. I mean, people, maybe they've learned... Uh, um, a martial art or, you know, pick any skill. And then I find that they tend to be better at language learning because they already have that confidence. They know they can mm. figure it out and they're, they're okay with the discomfort of being terrible <laughs> at something for yeah. a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, good for you to, to figure that out and avoid that mountain of debt and to have that <laughs> experience. That's, I, I wish I could say I had the same I, I was not as wise, <laughs> um, but my wife and I, if all goes well, will be debt free by January. So that is oh, wow. very exciting. Yes. That is exciting. Yeah, yeah, we've been going hard the last couple of years, pretty much since we got married. We've been, that's been our like top priority. So, but good for you. Um, cool. So, so from that first experience in Costa Rica, you got a taste of teaching languages as well. So that's kind of the other side of the conversation I actually want to talk about. Because you also have, in addition to Lindsay Does Languages and your Language Stories podcast, which we can touch on later, um, you also have a lot of resources about teaching languages online, um, the Teach Languages Mm. online podcast and then the Facebook group. So I think this is a good time as any. Let's segue into that a bit. If somebody wants to get started teaching either online or even potentially in, in country, how do they get started? seems like, you know, there's, there's a lot mm. out there to, to guide people, but it can be a bit overwhelming, I think. Yeah, it can. And it feels like there's so many different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's obviously the more kind of formal traditional route. If you want to teach in schools in any way, then you would need the right qualifications for that. Right. Um, whereas the way that I did things was kind of different. So I've never taught in a school, so to speak, I've worked in schools as like a learning support assistant. And I actually took, I was, um, in one school I worked at, I was like 
within the language department most of the time and I would take out small groups to teach them French and Spanish um, and that was really cool and that was a really you know quite a lucky sort of unique experience you know that's not going to be the same in every school for sure but I in terms of like the teaching on my own side of things I started out teaching privately so I was tutoring in people's homes um, I had a TEFL certificate from the the Costa Rica experience and so I was using that then to teach teach um, kind of corporate clients. So I had one big um, client that I worked with in the very beginning who had employed loads and loads of people from an agency. They had these soup, these sort of, it was, it was a, a garlic bread factory, right? Mm. <laughs> and they had this sudden surge of orders and they were like, wow, we need staff, you know, we need manpower. Okay. Let's get people in from the agency, no interviews, just get them in to do the job, to do the work. And then they wanted to keep these people on but they couldn't talk to each other, which, mm. you know, in a factory is kind of dangerous. Yeah. You know, stop that machine. You need to know what someone's saying when they say that to you. So they brought me in to teach those groups English. And that was really cool because then I had this different side of, of experience. You know, the, the English teaching that I've done has always been very different to the French and Spanish, you know, and this has always been in the UK. So a lot of that English stuff, it's, you know, English as a foreign language and obviously the Spanish and French is as a foreign language, but it's different. It's more a case of people, you know, people, parents want their children to learn for school or, um, you know, maybe people have a second home in France or in Spain. That's been a couple of times as well. Whereas the English has generally been, it's, it's, it's kind of the bigger stuff. So I, I also taught for a while, um, I taught for a couple of summers. There was like refugee program in the town near where I lived that was operating. And they had people come in from, it was interesting because the countries changed. It was only for like two years, but the countries were really different each time hmm. um, where people had come from. And so they were like small groups. There was about 12 each year who, and these were like asylum seekers and refugees that had arrived in the country needed to learn English. And so I was, I was there to, to teach them as part of this study center program program which was really cool so really I got lucky because there were those those kind of more corporate group opportunities around as well as the private tuition but if you want to get started offline I would say you know look out for for kind of local opportunities to do that and then online you know obviously there's italki a lot of people have told me lately that they've really struggled to get on because there's so many teachers on there now but there are various other platforms as well that you can you can kind of dip your toes in the water without feeling that need to commit and to dive in and to learn about all the business side of it and all the marketing as well. So yeah, you can, you can for sure have a go. And if, if you're really unsure and you don't feel confident about, you know, essentially charging people for your time and for your abilities and knowledge at this stage, then what you could do is almost try like a language exchange mm-hmm. and see, you know, okay, I'm, I'm talking to this person and you'd be getting something as well because it's an exchange. So maybe they're teaching you a bit of their language. You're teaching them a bit of yours and then think, okay, if this were a lesson, how would this be different? How would I be you know, what could I be teaching this person? and How could I be teaching them it as well? So you could sort of start there if you're really, really new to the whole thing. And then maybe think about becoming like a community tutor on online platforms or even locally as well. I, I did before 
was it before? No, it was after. When I got back from Costa Rica, I loved the English teaching side of things so much that I actually spent some time teaching voluntarily locally. There was a program for um, immigrants in my town um, who wanted to learn English. And that was really great as well, because there was like three teachers and then the organizer. And so we all had these different perspectives and different backgrounds. One of us had been a teacher for years and years. One of us was a primary school teacher, but had never really taught English. And one of them was me. So you know we all came from these different experiences and that was really cool because then we were learning from each other and I could learn from them you know I was the youngest of the the teachers and so yeah look around locally see if there's any voluntary opportunities that you can get involved with as well if if that's you know the offline side of things is the way you want to go yeah I like that advice to just dip your toes in and try things out first before you because yeah. you might not it might not be for you you might not yeah yeah it. absolutely um, absolutely yeah I Again, I was not as wise as you, and I usually jump in with both feet before I try <laughs> things out. <laughs> You've been wise in your life. Good decision-making. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, in terms of the learners, you, you talked about you know dealing with refugees and those that are learning English for immediate work-related tangible purposes um, versus like corporate clients or those just learning for fun or for vacation what are some of the differences you've noticed between those different groups in terms of like motivation or how fast they're able to pick things up or is there any difference? Hmm. I think there's been a difference in, so the refugees that I taught were groups of young people. So in theory, they were under 18, but sometimes I think they might have been slightly older than that because you get more if you, you know, arrive and say you're under 18. Um, so some of them were definitely slightly a little bit older in the, in the early 20s, perhaps. Um, so they were younger and they were in a group. So it was almost like a bit more like school for them. I feel, I feel that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. So they were, some of them were really keen and some of them would be sort of trying to show off, you know, just like a typical teenage classroom. Um, whereas the individual students generally, the motivation was, was, I guess like it felt stronger because you're one-on-one, you're individual, mm-hmm. you know, and no one's going to pay for you to come into their home to, to spend time with you one-on-one if they don't want to learn. So generally that motivation felt higher. And the other thing is with the corporate stuff, like with the garlic bread factory, they were, again, with, with groups, they were, um, they weren't like, you know, it wasn't like they were forced to go, but they were recommended to go. And it was obviously going to be better for their advancement within the company if they went to the lessons and it was their day off. So their motivation was very different again because you could see this mixture of some people were like really really keen and others would be like well I have to go because mm-hmm. it looks good for my job right. you know so it, it kind of varied I would say almost like the groups were less motivated even though they had more of a need because they were put into that situation right. rather than they'd chosen it right you know yeah yeah that seems, I never really thought about that that seems to be a really important difference is the choice component Mm. um i mean in my own experience like having chosen to do like japanese or mandarin you know they weren't required and you know in high school i did french because you had to have some foreign language but the the complete option to not do it for at least me seems to be really important in terms of how much you want to do it Mm -hmm. maybe it's for those that are more of a rebel i don't know if you're familiar with gretchen rubin and her 
oh, yeah. four tendencies. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you a rebel? I am. Oh, which one am I? Obliger, I think. Hmm. Kirsten always talks to me about this okay. on the Fluent Show. She, <laughs> I'm obsessed. She's a wife. questioner. Okay, that's yeah. What, yeah. I'm a questioner that tilts rebel. Oh, okay. Um, I know. I had you pegged as a rebel, given your, you know, kind of everyone's going this way and you're going to go the other way. Um, I think I'm going to like. What's the fourth one? Questioner, rebel, obliger, and upholder. Oh no, maybe I'm an upholder. I think that's me. Interesting. I'm one of those two. Yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah. Huh fascinating yeah i just it's one of my wife and i's obsessions we always like whenever we meet a new person or you know if they hire somebody new at like her company they always want to know what they are it's it's in fact i think it's really useful in language learning too to figure out which tendency you are because then you can figure out what kind of activities or you know if you're an upholder for example i think people tend to do better in school because there's there's clear expectations and rules to follow which upholders tend to resonate with more same with an obliger, you know, if not a school, at least a group, if you have other people to be in agreement with, okay, we're going to show up this time, this day, or we're going to practice together every Wednesday night or whatever. Rebels and questioners are a little trickier, I think. Um, questioners just have to believe in the why. If they don't have yeah. if they don't have a purpose for the language, they're not going to stick to it. That's me, definitely. It would be kind of be cool to speak whatever that never works for me. Mm. And then the rebels, like, they'll do whatever they want to do. Yeah, leave me alone. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. And if it's part of their identity, I think is the big thing. Their motto is, you can't make me and neither can I. <laughs> right. right. My <laughs> wife's a rebel, so I have a lot of experience with that. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, if I if something's part of who I am, then then she does it. But other than that, there's there's really no no cajoling. So, but anyway, that's a, that could be a whole other episode. Um, mm-hmm. So, coming back to your language learning and teaching journey then. So, as you started building up Lindsay does languages mm-hmm. did you continue then to add new languages or was it a process of just refining what you'd already been studying yeah completely I added new languages so when so like I said I started my degree that would have been around 2010 um, and the first year of my degree courses the French and Spanish they were basically too easy because they'd what I'd just done at A level. So I thought, well, I'll do something new. So I decided to do Italian and Mandarin Chinese because they just opened a Chinese course. And I thought, well, this is very different. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. The Italian will be quite easy. The Chinese will be a bit of a challenge. No problem. And I did all right. You know, it got harder as the year went on because I didn't, I'd never done this on my own before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and on some level, I feel like, oh, I should have given it more now I know what I could have done differently but at the time I didn't I was just following through the course book and you know hoping for the best at the exam time um and so then I also did German with the Open University like in addition to my degree and then it was around that time when I was doing German that I started Lindsay Does Languages on sort of online so I started the business in 2012 and then moved everything you know began to move everything online beginning of 2014 and I thought well if I'm going to write about language learning, I need to be learning a language rather than just doing my, you know, learning a language for my degree. So, you know, I need to go back to the beginning with a language. So I was in the library one afternoon in between lessons and I decided, okay, there's a Dutch book right there. I'm going to learn Dutch. <laughs> so I picked up the Dutch book and I checked it out and I took it home for a few weeks and I renewed it and I renewed it and uh, and I learned some Dutch. And that was the first language that I ever learned completely 
on my own, you know, without the sort of, you know, academic side of things um, like I'd had with sort of Italian and Chinese and, and German before. And then that same summer, not long after I'd started with Dutch, actually, I was contacted by Italki, who wanted to work with me over the summer for their World Cup language challenge. And I said, yeah, cool, I'll, I'll learn a language for this. Well, it's in Brazil. I'm going to learn Portuguese. So I decided to learn Portuguese just, you know, on a whim. Why not? And yeah, right. Why not? So I did an eight week challenge in, in Portuguese. And from there was really when I started to like build up these languages that I was studying on my own. So I can't remember exactly the sort of order of what happened next, but I, I was learning languages because I wanted to share that experience with people. I had a, a reason then because I had the, the, the blog and the YouTube and everything that was like, well, okay, if I'm going to learn Japanese, that gives me something to talk about. It right. gives me something to share and it's going to hold me accountable. It's like right. a double whammy, yeah. you know? So, so I learned some, yeah, really, really strong why. So I learned some Japanese and I did some, what else have I done? Esperanto, Indonesian, Korean, Guarani. So yeah, it's really accelerated my language learning, you know, for years and years and years, it was just French mm-hmm. and it was Spanish. And then little by little, it was more. And then poof, yeah. all of a sudden, as soon as, as soon as I started the business, it was a real inspiration to, to keep learning more. So how has been learning on your own then how has that process been how does it look differently on a day-to-day basis than when you were just studying in school in an academic setting let me ask you this yeah what would an ideal language learning day look like okay so it's changed over the years um you know kind of like i feel like every new language that i was picking up for a while it was almost like a chance to start again right not only with a new language but with a new kind of new methods and new tools and new resources and new, new, you know, ways of learning and new habits and things. And so that's been really interesting. And I feel like now I'm in a really good place where I feel really positive about my language learning and really I'm enjoying it. I think that's really key. Mm -hmm. You know, not that I wasn't enjoying it before, but I think that I'm, I just, I love it right now. And so what I do at the minute, what it looks like for me is Monday to Friday, I I wake up quite early in the morning. And then, um, by the time I'm like, you know, breakfast and washed and dressed and all that 7am to 8am, that's my language hour. And that's the time in my day that I have carved out for language learning. And it works well for me in the morning because if I say I'm going to do it in the evening, I'm going to get tired. Right. I'm going to, you know, I'm more likely not to do it. So I'm, I'm definitely a morning person in that respect. So I have that time carved out and it changes how I use that hour. But that's my pretty much my standard, you know, mostly like nine days out of 10. That is my that's what happens um, at the minute. I have 20 minutes Guarani, 20 minutes Korean and 20 minutes other each day. So those mm. other languages are all the languages I'd studied in the past. Mm-hmm. So there's like 10 of them, um, you know, from like French and Spanish, like kind of degree to uh, what did I study? Probably the least, maybe Dutch. And so they're all different levels, but I just have 20 minutes every two weeks, just, you know, learning a little bit, a bit of contact with that language. And it's really made a big difference. It sounds so silly because it's so small and such a little thing and a small change. But like, um, Back in end of September, I'd been doing this for maybe sort of a month, six weeks by this point. And I'd had two Indonesian kind of 20 minutes during this kind of new study routine, right? 
and I was running in a race in a, in a half marathon and there was a guy in front of me who had a t-shirt on that said Indo runners. And I was like, huh, they had a little Indonesian flag. And I thought that's strange. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him. So I said, oh, hello, are you Indonesian? He said, yes. Next thing I know, we're having a conversation in Indonesian, like just running a race. I'm like, ah, you know, how are you? Bye, bye. Okay, bye. And there we go. I thought if I hadn't had these little 20-minute bursts, Mm -hmm. that would never have happened. I would never have remembered or felt confident enough to remember enough Indonesian to just say hello. So that's been really cool. So at the minute, it looks like that. Um, And so there's like 20, 20, 20 kind of pie chart thing going on mm-hmm. for the for the hour and what i do specifically changes a little bit each day i try and get a bit of a of a mix between um you know the different kind of skills of like reading listening speaking and writing and stuff but i also then have like one core resource at a time that i try and work with and kind of extract as much as i can from that one resource and then throughout the day there might be little kind of flutters at various points. So maybe when I'm uh, washing up in the mornings, I might watch something in Japanese or in Korean on Netflix. When I am kind of taking a quick break from work, I might stand up and like move about a bit and do something on Memorize or Close Master. You know, so there's little bits here and there throughout the day that just kind of complement that hour. But that hour is, that's my solid bit of time. That's your, no matter what, that, that happens more or less more or less, more yeah, or less yeah. life happens yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 but that's that's my that's my bit and I, I yeah I really I really like it it's, it's been very rewarding and, and and pretty kind of productive and like I say I I'm enjoying it I think that's really key yeah I'm gonna have to try something like that I like the the pie chart of learning new but also reviewing previously learned languages that's that's smart. Mm-hmm. So when you say you pick like one resource and go deep on it for a particular language, you know, what are the languages that you're learning now is, is it Guarani? Is that how I say that right? Yeah. I know there probably aren't a lot of resources for that language. So for less populous languages, how do you go about finding a resource or what are your like go-to strategies? Mm, it's been, you know, it's been a really interesting kind of journey, I guess you could say with Guarani because of that. Um, at the beginning, I was very kind of pleasantly surprised to discover there's actually a Duolingo course for really? Guarani. Oh, that's cool. Yes. It's taught in Spanish. So it doesn't show uh, up unless your Duolingo is logged in as, as Spanish. Right. Um, and then obviously you need to know Spanish to be able to do that. There's a couple of great resources as well. There's an app for Android called Guaranglish, um, which teaches Guarani through English and vice versa. So, you know, if you don't know Spanish, there's that there as well. That's something I have found really interesting is that knowing Spanish has been just instrumental to being able to learn Guarani because it's it's not like it's not an endangered language as such you know there's six million speakers it's very highly regarded you know within Paraguay it's had its problems throughout history of course but it's it's in a relatively good place as far as kind of you know indigenous languages go Guarani is like this bizarre example of of how it can be done I guess Mm. and it's really fascinating so but you know so even though it's it's still quite a widely spoken language you know within its sort of geographical area it's not very widely studied 
And that's the thing that makes it interesting because a lot of the resources that do exist in the country. So I studied for like almost a year before I went to Paraguay. And since I've come back, it's been so much easier because when I was there, I was able to buy books. <laughs> you know, I couldn't get any books online. All I could find was one dictionary. Um, and so I was able to actually buy books. So now it's a lot easier because I have these resources available that I can use and kind of complement, um, you know, everything else that I found before now complements those more solid resources rather than just having those sort of things that complement it the other way around. So things I found really useful before I had those books, I would say, like I said, the Duolingo. So I'd always recommend starting to look in the places that you normally would look, but you might not expect to find something. So don't just rule out everything that you already know, because you might be pleasantly surprised. There's a few courses on Memrise. There's a course on Clothesmaster, for example, for Guarani, which, you know, really surprised me. Um, and then the second thing I'd say is that LiveLingua.com. Um, if you go on LiveLingua and you look for a project, they've got a whole host of the free courses that you can get. So there's Peace Corps, Peace, Peace Corps, you say, don't you? Peace Corps, um, D, I think it's D, L, I, and F, S, I, I think I got those mm -hmm. the right around yeah they're all on there for free and there's like 130 languages so you know and they have one for for Guarani from the Peace Corps um which I used in the sort of early stages so but but here's the thing right I had this pdf course so then all of a sudden I'd gone from a Duolingo course that's you know not really a course it's more like a complementary tool right? right so then having this this pdf and it was like gold so actually having less resources was a benefit because then I was teaching myself and I was learning how to make the most of that, you know, what little stuff I did have rather than, you know, learning French or Spanish or English or Japanese where there's so much choice yeah. that it's almost overwhelming right. to know where to begin, you know, so actually it's, you can kind of embrace that side of things. If, you know, if you're learning a lesser studied language, you can say, well, what I do have is what I have and I'm going to make the most of it. So, you know, there'd be like a dialogue in that Peace Corps book, for example. I'd take it, I'd read it out loud. I didn't have any audio to go with, unfortunately, um, but I'd take it, I'd read it out loud and then I'd maybe like copy it out and, and like try and then switch words around. So, you know, if it said like, this is my brother, I would try and say, this is my mom, that kind of thing, you know, just so I can see the structure. And then I had a tutor. I was really, really lucky. And again, really surprised, you know, looking in those same places that you normally would, that on italki, there's, um, I think there's a couple now, but at the time there was one tutor for Guarani. So I worked with him for a bit and I would then bring my stuff to him in the lesson and say, oh, how do I say this word? How do I pronounce this? Can you read this dialogue out for me and stuff like that? So that was really helpful as well. So yeah, it's been surprising. And there's always, the, the most difficult thing I found with Guarani in particular is finding listening, finding good listening right. material. Um, I'm now kind of getting better at it. I found a lot more music now, which has been quite a, a joy. Every time I find a new kind of Guarani uh, sort of artist or, or song on Spotify, I'm like, yes, <laughs> add it to the playlist, another one. And um, so that's been really good. And there's a YouTube channel that dubs short clips from films into Guarani. So that's been helpful mm. as well. Um, but everything that I found, there's almost like a missing piece. So, you know, I found the songs and I found the, uh, the, those YouTube clips, but those YouTube clips don't have 
English or Spanish subtitles necessarily. Right. You know, those songs, maybe I have to hunt around a bit to find the lyrics. And, you know, there's no kind of activities like lyrics translate or anything like that to, to use with those songs. So there's always something missing. So you have to get a bit creative. And that's what it's really taught me more than anything is this idea of just having fun and getting really creative. It's almost like those resources, every one of them is like a sponge just, you know, weighed down and heavy with water and I can either go blip and have a little squeeze mm. of the sponge or I can really really wring it out and get the most from it and I've been learning to really get the most from every resource since uh, since I've been learning Guarani. Great analogy yeah I think to your point of the overwhelm of resources for other languages that that is such a real problem I mean the struggle is mm. real you know mm. especially for something like Japanese I mean there's just so much media and the paradox of choice can be really hard to you spend all your time trying to find quote unquote the perfect resource that's yeah. just the right level just the right topic that fits your interests um yeah I like that so just pick something and then squeeze all the water out of it don't waste so much yeah. time looking for resources but the time actually using the darn resources you already have exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. sage advice yeah. You mentioned earlier in the chat about how when you had first learned French and Spanish that someone had told you that switching to Italian or Portuguese would be rather easy um, because they're similar languages. Uh, and you said that may or may not be true. So what has been your experience then since later learning Italian and Portuguese? How how mm. easily did it transfer or ironically, was it more difficult because they were similar but different? Yeah, that's a good question. I think knowing Spanish and French, I would say, definitely helped um, to learn Italian and to learn Portuguese. The same as knowing German helped me to learn Dutch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of like the the question of, you know, do they get more confused? I think it's about what's strongest. I feel like when you get a language to a, a strong enough point, maybe like kind of high B1, B2, then it becomes much more solid in itself. And it's less reliant on that stronger language that you do know. So for example, my Italian and my Portuguese aren't quite at that stage, I don't think, at least because I don't use them. You know, if I were to suddenly start using one of them all the time, then I think it would get there quite quickly. But the way, you know, the, 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 the knowledge that I have kind of now in comparison to my Spanish is a lot lower. So if I'm trying to speak Italian, I'm going to just fall back on Spanish all the time. I'm going to just, you know, get confused in that direction, but it doesn't happen in the other direction. So if I'm speaking Spanish, I'm not going to suddenly throw in an Italian or a Portuguese word. So I think the stronger the language is, the less likely you are to mix it up. I wouldn't necessarily recommend learning some very similar languages at the same time even though I've always you know people say oh I really want to you know I'm learning language x and I really want to start learning language y but I don't want to forget language x what do I do I can't learn them at the same time ah panic Mm -hmm. and it's weird because I've like most of my language learning I've been learning at least two languages at once Mm -hmm. it's just you know, from school, that's, that's like I said, you know, the Spanish at GCSE, they said, oh, you have to do French as well. Mm-hmm. So I was always just, you know, it was never not a possibility for me. And so, but I think learning, you know, if I were to start learning Italian and Portuguese now from scratch, I don't think I could learn them together at the same time. I think I'd have to be really disciplined, you know, because the, the more you learn, I think, 
the more they kind of build up in this, their own space in your head. Right. But when you don't have that, that's when they're blurred. And like I say, that's when they begin to rely on the stronger languages that you do have. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't go and live in Italy or live in Portugal for a year. Like my, uh, like my teacher said, but I did find it easier than, than I have learning other languages. Definitely. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I, mm. I learned Japanese first and then Mandarin, which I mean, you know, syntactically and phonetically, they're very different, but, um, at least the characters are, at least there's a fair amount of overlap. So that was, yeah, that definitely was an advantage, but, um, I'm definitely glad I didn't learn them both the same time, at least in terms of, you know, okay, this given kanji, how was it written in traditional Chinese versus simplified Chinese versus Japanese? I mean, that, that kind of thing could be definitely confusing. Um, mm. But yeah, good advice to that. You can still learn multiple languages at once. Just make sure they're probably not really related or in the, maybe the same language family, but some, some space between them. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think also some people are really good at that. And it's almost like, like I know, uh, do you know um, Elisa Polese? I don't. So she teaches um, a class. I think she still teaches it the same, this, this class, where she teaches 10 languages in one wow. class, which is amazing. And, and, you know, it's like, well, how do you not get them confused? How do the yeah. students know which is which? But, I th- but, you know, the way that she does it, I've, I've heard her talk about the, the methodology that she uses and stuff before. And that is something I'd be like, yes, I want to try this. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Can you imagine? Yeah. 10 for the price of one. <laughs> like linguistic Disneyland. Right, yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> So what are some, now that you've been at this for a long time, what are some, both teaching and, and learning, what are some really common mistakes that you see a lot of language learners make? Mm. Not setting goals, mm. rather not setting the right goals. I think there is a kind of general confusion between ambition and goal. So we might start out and think, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be fluent in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. That's that's an ambition, right? Right. It's almost you know, if it's a goal, it's an end goal, and what you need to actually make that happen is smaller goals along the way, so that you're constantly achieving, you're constantly succeeding, and that you're going in the right direction, you're doing the right things to get you there. So I think that's a big thing that we don't, um, you know, language learners, we don't always do in the right way. So definitely, goal setting is is one big thing. Um, and I think being kinder to ourselves is another. Mm. So it's quite an ambitious thing to say you're going to learn a language, even if, you know, even if you're not saying I'm going to be fluent in Spanish, you're just saying, I just want to learn a few phrases in Spanish. So when I go on holiday, I can speak to the waiter and the staff at the hotel or whatever. Right. That's still quite an ambitious thing. And not everyone mm. is doing that. So when you're doing that, that's, that's pretty cool, you know? And so that in itself is, is an achievement to recognize that you want to do this. And we're so hard on ourselves when we don't, you know, achieve what we want to achieve, because I think in reality, because we haven't set those goals, right. The goals that we are imagining are way too far off. They're way too high and they're way too unattainable, at least at this, at the, the stage that we're at. And so it's about just being kinder and just, you know, when we do then, you know, in, in all respects, not just in that kind of goals and achievement side of things, but then when you do make a, a sort of verbal or a written mistake in the language, rather than thinking, oh, 
I made a mistake. That's it. I can never speak to anyone ever in Japanese ever, ever again. You say to yourself, you know what? Now I've made that mistake. That was embarrassing. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to remember. Ha ha. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And you just, just be kind to ourselves, you know? And so, yeah, I think that's, that's a big one as well, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's really important. I think especially a lot of people that do want to learn languages tend to be more ambitious in general. And so they tend to be harder on themselves probably to begin with. So yeah, that's good, good advice in terms of those smaller ratcheted down habits or like daily processes. What are some examples of that just to give people an idea? So, okay, I want to be fluent in Spanish. If we translate that down to some things I can do today, this week, this month, what are some good examples? Mm. So the way that I like to do this, I like to do what I call onion goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like in Shrek, like onions have layers. So you start with your goal in the middle and it's like, okay, so I want to be fluent Spanish, right? First of all, I would like, you know, put that on the wall as like a motivational poster, but and then come back to your goal again and put something else in the middle. So, you know, what is it that you actually want to be able to do in the language? Because, you know, fluent is quite open and vague. Right. So get a bit more specific. So maybe you you say... I want to be able to feel comfortable in a conversation that goes beyond food and ordering food with a waiter in a Spanish restaurant, right? So you get a bit more specific with it. You know what you're aiming for roughly. So that goal there, that's a a speaking goal. It's also a listening goal because, you know, to speak, you need to listen. Um, And it's, you're going to need some vocabulary. It's quite a big goal. You know, what's the conversation going to be about? You know, so, you know, maybe you want to even get even narrower with with that about what you want to talk about. But then you put that whatever you settle on, you put that in the middle of your your circle, you add a ring around it and you say to yourself, how? It's like a real nagging voice in the back of your head going, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Right. (laughs) So you say to yourself, well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to make this happen? Well, I need to start speaking with people. Well, how are you going to make that happen? Where are you going to find people to speak with? Okay, well, I'm going to go and sign up for a tutor, you know, online. I'm going to find a language exchange partner or I'm going to sign up to Hello Talk and start sending some voice messages to someone on there, right? Okay, well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to make that happen? Well, I'm going to sign up to the website right now. I'm going to download the app right now and I'm going to, you know, make, um, do like, three minutes, five minutes on Hello Talk every single morning and send one message every day before I go to bed. You know, so you, by constantly sort of questioning each step of that, you then, when you look back, you've got a clear path of exactly what you need to do and how you can get there and how you can reach that goal. So that's that's something. And I think that in terms of, you know, that like you were saying, can I give some specific examples? I think that's really tricky because that's going to depend on exactly what it is that you want to do with the language but i think in general the one thing that i would say is always going to be a staple is that you need to find something you love because you know you may be feeling really motivated right now Mm -hmm. like yep i'm gonna do it i'm ready i'm gonna learn this language it's gonna happen it's gonna be amazing 2019 bring it on And, you know, that's not going to always be there. You know, you come home from work one day, you've got a lesson booked and, oh, man, I just don't want to do it today. I just don't want to do it. It's been a really rough day. So what are you going to do? Right. So you need to then have some kind of backup for your motivation. So you need to be making it a, a, a habit. 
right? So you, th- those daily habits that you can do so that you have some kind of contact with the language. So, you know, it could be something simple like an app like Duolingo Memorize, Close Master, just a quick session that you do every morning before you get out of bed or while you're brushing your teeth or while you're having your cup of tea on your break at work. Um, you know, it could be something like you write five sentences in the language before you, you go to bed or just before you get out of bed in the morning. Um, you know, something small that you can just fit into your day and attach to something that already exists you know a habit that you already do um that can be the daily side of things but then when motivation is low what you're really going to need is to have something that you love about that language or about those people or about that culture associated with that language so it could be something specifically language-based like you know i just really really love the writing system or i really really love the way the cases work in this language you know that might sound like an odd example but it could it could be a thing so you know so you could have something like that or it could be something like you love the music there's like a certain band that you love um you know that you you know like i wanted to translate shakira lyrics right that was my initial like thing that i loved about spanish was that it was going to give me access to be able to do that it could be um, something kind of more wider than that. Like you love traveling to that place or you love, um, you know, the, the the people there are just so kind and you enjoy talking to them. You want to be able to talk more. So whatever it is, there needs to be something that keeps you in and that keeps you hooked even when the motivation is low. So, yeah, you want to set a daily habit. There wants to be some you want to have some kind of regular contact with the language, however that that looks for you. But you also want to find something you love, whatever language you're learning and whatever your goal is. Absolutely. Very, very important. Yeah, I always say that don't you know, people make their goals when they're in a period of high energy. But you have to think, what is the minimum habit I can stick to when I'm in a period of low energy? Yes. That's the real trick. Yeah. And it's same thing with, I mean, I've spent the last few years in the um, nutrition field and it's the same exact thing. It's like people go, oh, I'm going to cut out, you know, all sugar this year. It's like, okay, now think about when you get home from a hard day of work and you really, really want some sugar, you know, what are you going to do? Or you go to a party and the people offer you wine and you've decided, mm. you know, you have to decide ahead of time what you're going to do, not, not in the moment and let emotion guide you. What are some common recommendations that you see thrown around in the language learning world, whether in the blogosphere or in academic education that you disagree with or that you, you think is not very useful? Hmm. Things that aren't very useful. You know what? I think that there are, there's, there's, there's some element of truth in everything that has been put out there Mm -hmm. because it's, you know, if someone's sharing something, um, then it's worked for them. You would hope at least. Right. right. So, <laughs> so I think that, and, and the, the, the thing that's really interesting about language learning or anything, you know, like you say, like nutrition and things like that as well, exercise is that everyone is different. And although there are some general kind of truths that, like I said, like about goal setting, I think is really important and, and finding something you love, I think is really important. There are some things that are just not going to work for everyone, you know, like there are some things that maybe I've said on my um, website that's that's just not going to be applicable to certain people. I think a big one that often comes up um, maybe would be like passive listening 
Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people really sort of poo-poo passive listening and say, like, oh, waste of time, don't bother. But actually, I think there's a real beauty to passive listening. As long as you're doing something else, as long as you are, um, you know, actively learning the language as well and not just expecting it to, like, go in and seep into your brain right. while you sleep Osmosis. and then magically in the morning, <laughs> la, la, yeah. I speak this language now, right. you know, then I think it's fine, you know, do it if you enjoy it. The same, I would say, for immersion, there's quite a lot of um, talk about, like, immersion is the one thing that you need. Mm -hmm. You go to the place and boom, Boom. you'll be fluent, easy peasy, no problem. This isn't true. I spent um, three weeks last year in Cuba with my husband. And my husband had been learning Spanish for a little bit of time before we went there. And because we were in Latin America for quite a while. And he in Cuba was able to practice this every single day because you stay in these places called uh, Casa Particulares and you go out for breakfast every morning and they say how do you want your eggs and you have the same conversation every single day with the same people so you know what they're saying you get used to how they say it and it's repetition and it's practice in real life perfect amazing then we went so that was immersion right working then we went to Mexico for six weeks So we're in Mexico. We're in a country that speaks Spanish for six weeks. And he felt like he lost it all because Mm -hmm. we were working. We were were in our apartment. We were working for most of that six weeks. Mm -hmm. The only interactions we had were in Walmart, maybe, where (laughs) the person would say the price and then point to the screen with the price on it. There was no need for the language. And so, you know, he really felt that in Mexico and and he, he kind of lost the language that he'd and the confidence as well that he'd built up from being in Cuba. You know, so immersion is not this one size fits all answer either. Right. Again, much like the passive listening. Yeah, it can work. It can be a great compliment, but you need to be actively doing something as well. And I think that's the perhaps the biggest myth is that there is like click like a magic pill right mm-hmm. there is like this one one formula that will this is your going to unlock everything and you'll be fluent um because that's really not the case uh, language learning successful language learning is a combination of lots of different activities lots of different methods and experimentation and trial and error and you know, it's it's not always going to be easy. It's not always necessarily going to be fun. I think it should be. Mm-hmm. I think you should aim to make it as fun as possible. Right. But I think that's the biggest myth, perhaps, is that, you know, and it's interesting because you started when you asked this question and I sort of went, no, there's none. But I think this is it. <laughs> the biggest myth is that is that you can just do it with this one fix, whatever right. that one fix is. Yeah, there's no panacea. Certainly not. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And living in, you know, Japan and then Taiwan. I mean, there were people that I met who'd been there for decades, literally decades and could not speak the local language because they had lived in a little English speaking bubble. You know, they had, Mm. they had English speaking friends and they had, you know, maybe a local significant other who could speak the language for them. And yeah. So even, even though they had passive input throughout their day, Potentially, they weren't actively trying to assimilate it. And so it was, they might as well just have been back in Kansas or, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely that, that is not a guarantee. But on the flip side, I think it's really important. I know you talk a lot about this too, is you can create a immersion type environment anywhere in the world now with, mm. you know, with online resources, with, with podcasts, with YouTube videos, with, you know, going to an italki. I mean, the, you can get exposure to 
even now, Guarani. I mean, almost anywhere in the world, it's pretty amazing. We are we are definitely spoiled for choice today. This is true. Yeah, part of me always wants to go back in time and then actually start learning like Japanese now because I feel <laughs> I used to like carry around this, you know. 80 pound kanji dictionary that filled my entire backpack. And now I have the same thing on my phone. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know, at the same time though, I'm curious to go back in time and to almost start learning a language when we didn't have all of those things. Like, how did people do this? Right. <laughs> you know? Well, like you said, you don't have all the distraction either. You it's, you have well, one choice. Yeah, yeah. This is it. This yeah. is the dictionary. This is the the one book and that's it. And then, so you don't waste that time on, paralysis by analysis. So yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, there's pros and cons on all sides. Um, just a few more quick questions. I know we're getting long on time now. What have you changed your mind about in the last 10 years, if anything, about learning and teaching languages? 10 years, let me think. Or five or, or whatever. End of, end yeah. of, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think back. Um, oh, that's a good question. I think, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think what have I changed my mind about? I would say that in the past, I thought that it was never really there. I thought that there were languages that I would never learn in the past. I felt like, you know, you know that languages exist, but yeah, there's no, you know, it's not at school or there's no course for that. I'm, you know, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to be able to learn that language. And now I think that it's possible. I feel that now. I feel that if I really wanted to, I could learn any language in the world. Very and good. I would say that that's what's, that's what's changed in the past decade for me. Beautiful. Yeah, that is a, a great attitude. And I think a good place to call it a day here. Um, okay. So if people want to learn more about you, where do you recommend they go? So everything is on lindsaydoeslanguages.com and it's Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. <laughs> and um, yeah, on there, you'll find everything for learners, for teachers. At the top, there's a learn and a teach button. And there's also a language stories button at the top as well, which, as you mentioned, is my um, video and podcast documentary series in Latin America. And, highly, highly oh, recommend it. Yeah, I've been binging thank it you. for the last week or two. And yeah, it. <laughs> It's really. I Are mean, you on a podcast or video? I've been doing the podcast. I usually I, okay, I listen cool, as cool. I I walk, but I know that it's also a, a video um, show, so yeah. I, I do want to peep a few of those when I have a chance. Um, but no, the production quality is exceptional, and the storytelling is really engaging. You, you've done an excellent job, so hats off to you. Thank you, thank you very much. It's been it's been a real a real fun project, and I'm excited at the uh, the prospect of a, of a season three. Yeah, I've got ideas. I've got ideas for that. <laughs> Very cool. Is there like a, a Patreon or any other way that people can support it or just, just listen and, and rate it? Yeah, listen and, and review is the best way. If you want to support in any way, um, the planner is probably the best way to do that. Right. That's I my that um, lowest price option. Yeah, you mentioned so the, the onion goals. I know that that's a part of that. Uh, yeah, that's product, a part of so. that. Yeah. Yeah, so there's the solo language learner planner and then the um, online language teacher planner as well. So there's one for teachers, one one for learners, and it's going to help you to set those goals that we talked about and to get stuff done. Perfect. Lindsay, thank you so much. It was a, a blast talking to you. And uh, you. if I'm ever over on your side of the pond, I will uh, treat you to your, your beverage of choice, whether it's 
tea, coffee, adult beverage, whatever. I'd be happy to. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. All right. Have a good day. Take care. And you. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lindsay Williams of Lindsay Does Language. For show notes, go to languagemastery.com slash show. There you'll find the tips we talked about, links to resources we discussed, and more. If you enjoyed the show and want to be of support, one of the best things you can do is go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast app or provider you use and leave a five-star rating and a bit about what you liked about the show. That helps other people find us and keeps this train rolling. All right, we will see you next Friday. Until then, happy language learning.